It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Previously on Miracles Happen. Maybe you're in school, maybe you're in university, or maybe you can remember your days studying. Uh, exam day, that fateful exam day. And you walk into that classroom or you walk into that lecture theatre, sit down and the teacher or the lecturer puts that exam paper in front of you. And uh, you think, well, I don't even know if I believe in God in this moment, but man, I'm, if God, if you're real, I'm praying to you and uh, I need a miracle right now. I don't pretend to understand why God seems to answer some prayers, why He seems to do a miracle in some situations and not in others. Uh, but I will tell you this, uh, I do believe that God has done miracles. I do believe that God can do miracles and I do believe that God will do miracles. Fact, life can be messy. Even when you've planned it down to the last detail, things don't always go according to plan. God is a miracle-making God. And I want to suggest to you today that His desire is that we would not only engage Him, but we would connect with Him because He wants to do a miracle of healing in our lives. See, Jesus walked into this man's world and Jesus wants to walk into our world. You might not think He's there, but He's desiring to walk into your world. Well, greetings from our home to your home. Uh, my camera crew and I have uh, been doing a bit of location scouting during the week, and uh, we decided, well, the living room it is. So uh, change the angle. Here we are. Uh, great to have you with us, uh, joining us for our uh, Elevate Church online experience uh, the week after Easter. And also a shout out to those of you joining us, our extended Elevate family around the world, uh, joining us via our podcast. Uh, great to have you with us as well. Uh, this month, uh, Chile, uh, the country, the wonderful country of Chile, has uh, skyrocketed into our top 10 um, of countries listening via our podcast. They've actually lobbed in at number five. So, hola, muchachos e muchachas. Um, Benvenido. Uh, so, good to have you here. Um, look, real talk question. Have you ever been in a situation where you haven't had enough, where God's called you to do something and, and you, you knew or you felt like you didn't have enough, didn't have enough time, uh, didn't have enough resources, didn't have enough uh, ability? Um, I just wonder if, if that's you and if that is you. And by the way, I think probably most of us have been in that situation in our life then through our uh, Miracles Happen series, this is the third week, um, I'm going to talk about something that Jesus did that actually demonstrates both his character and his ability when it comes to calling people to do something and they, in that moment, uh, didn't or don't think that they had enough. So I encourage you to grab a, a device nearby, your phone, your tablet, and uh, pop open the Bible app. Uh, if you don't have the Bible app, it's free in, in, in the App Store, the Play Store, just literally called Bible app. And uh, go to John. Uh, I'm going to read uh, this slice of, uh, of Jesus' uh, story. Uh, 
this miracle. I'm going to read it from the message version. So if you want to follow exactly along, you can follow along from the message version. And go to John, John chapter 6. Now, a little bit of the backstory here. John, John was one of the 12 hand-picked disciples that Jesus chose to be his closest 12. Um, and so when we read John's account of Jesus' life, John's biography uh, of, uh, of uh, the high points or the key points of Jesus' life, we're actually reading an eyewitness account. It's very, very important to understand that. Um, and and the, the event that I want to take us to today is actually, of all of Jesus' miracles, is actually it's the only miracle that is recorded by all four biographers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four of them wrote this particular story. Um, and it's actually an event that's, well, it's, it's, it's not just familiar to church people. And if you're a church person, chances are you would have been, you'd be very familiar with this story. It, but it's actually one of those stories that's transcended into popular culture, where even an unchurched person would know something of this story, a bit like the water into wine story that we, or the event, the miracle that we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, and uh, so the scene is Jesus had been uh, doing miracles, doing his thing. He was getting pretty tired, got in a boat, moved to the other side of the, of the sea to get away, to get a little bit of rest. Um, but the crowds loved him. The crowds couldn't get enough of him. In fact, they kept swarming and growing and they found out where Jesus had gone to and they decided to follow him there. So just when he's about to put his feet up, uh, a crowd appeared, like a, a big crowd. In fact, conservative estimates uh, have this crowd at something in the range of ten to 15,000 people. And so I want to airdrop us into this moment. That's the scene Jesus uh, He's looking at. Out, out into a, a field, ten to 15,000 people gathered there. And this is what John says and how John picks up the events in that moment. When Jesus looked out and saw a large crowd had arrived, he said to Philip, and Philip was one of the 12 handpicked, where can we buy bread to feed these people? Now, Jesus said this to stretch Philip's faith because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Now, as I mentioned, all four biographers of Jesus' public life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record this miracle that we're going into today. But it was actually only John that specifically recorded the question that Jesus asked of Philip. Where can we buy bread to feed these people? And John indicated why Jesus asked that. He said this, to stretch Philip's faith because the reality is that Jesus sometimes stretches us to grow us. And Philip answered, and I kind of get why he would say this, looked at, looked at what they had monetarily and said 200 pieces, uh, silver pieces wouldn't be enough to buy bread for each person to get a piece. Now here's the scene. 10 to 15,000 people in front of Jesus and his 12, getting hangry. Now, if you've ever been hangry or if you've ever had people around you who are hangry, you know hangry is a problem. So here we've got Philip. Here we've got 10 to 15,000 people getting hangry. Philip recognizes we've got a problem, not just a problem that we need to feed these people, but a problem that we don't have enough to feed these people. So Philip starts panicking. 
Okay. I can't see you, but just uh, let me ask a question. I want you to kind of like figuratively put your hand up. How many of you are competitive people? And I, and I don't have to encourage you because if you're a competitive person, you, you couldn't wait to put your hand up. You wanted to be the first in your living room with your hand up. Well, congratulations. You win. You're a competitive person. Well, here's the thing. I understand competitive people. Uh, Louisa, my wife and I, we're doing our COVID staycation, like uh, no doubt you are as well. And uh, we're figuring out ways to pass the time. Um, and of course, one of the, the, the simplest ways is to play games. So uh, we recently uh, broke out the classic, the, the classic Uno. Family favorite, fun for the whole family. We, we, we broke out Uno, we started playing some games of Uno. Now, game one, Louisa won that. Game two, well, Louisa won that as well. Uh, she then left the room and came back with uh, a piece of paper and a pen, started scribbling down, and I thought, okay, Uno's over, now it's drawing time. But no, she uh, just wrote a few things on this piece of paper, grabbed some uh, some sticky tape, some sellotape, and uh, stuck that piece of paper uh, up on the wall. And we then played three more games. Now, if you're wondering what that piece of paper was, here's uh, what that looks like. That piece of paper. That piece of paper is still on our wall, demonstrating that Louisa won five consecutive games of Uno and yours truly won zero games of Uno. Now, I probably didn't even have to tell you who actually made up that scoreboard because it's only people that are winning that even care for the scoreboard. If it was up to me, that scoreboard wouldn't be up there, but it's up there. And uh, I have to walk past it several times a day. Uh, that... That evening, when I had literally been uh, demolished, 5-0, I reached out to one of our team members. Uh, he's a bit of an Uno Jedi master, and I sent him a message. I'm like, hey, man, I got just got de destroyed by Louisa 5-0 in Uno. Can you pray for me? And, uh, well, here was his response to me. Uh, That's brutal. Maybe switch to a game you're good at. So <sighs> it's great to have... Uh, Excellent team members around Elevate Church, I can assure you. <laughs> May come as no surprise that uh, that was a week ago and uh, I have not played a game of Uno since. Um, I like competitive people. I am a competitive person. I'm obviously not a very good Uno player, but I'm a competitive person and I like competitive people. I like determined people. And there's a great strength in being competitive. There's a great strength in being determined to chase after stuff, to go after stuff, to make things happen. However, as with any great strength, as with any superpower, it comes with its own kryptonite. And the kryptonite when it comes to being a competitive person or a super determined person is when your back's against the wall, when you're faced with a situation where you don't have enough it's easy for your default to be assuming or for you to assume that it's completely up to you to fix the problem, that it's completely up to you to make up the difference. And if you're someone that's like that, then unfortunately, the risk that you face is that you'll end up essentially cropping God out, cropping God who wants to be involved, who wants to get in your space, in your world, insert himself into the story when you don't have enough. Uh, and so this is what we're faced with now. Jesus has asked his closest 12, what do we have? 
we need to feed these people. And uh, Philip and the others, they realize, well, we, we, don't, we don't have enough. Um, and it would be, uh, it'd be kind of obvious for you and I, uh, if, particularly church people, for us to think, well, God just, well, the easy solution is he's just going to rain down bread from heaven. And by the way, he's done that in history. Um, and the reason we might default to that is because many of us have been brought up with what I would consider to be a one-dimensional perspective when it comes to blessing. And, and, and it's simply this, blessing equals more. Blessing equals more, more money, more time, more ability. Blessing equals more. And yet we're seeing a situation where Jesus is asking something of his followers that's way beyond what they've got. And if you think that this is something that Jesus is actually putting on them, then this flies in the face of blessing equal, equaling more. In fact, this is actually looking like blessing equaling less. And I want to put it to you, just this idea that sometimes God blesses us with not enough so that we can trust him to demonstrate that he is more than enough in our lives. So John, let me just recap, bring this all together. I want us to really get a clarity on, on the scene here. And, 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 and the scene, one of the problems about this scene is if you're overly familiar with the story, you know how it ends and you can miss the significance of this moment. So just pretend for a moment you don't know how it ends and just insert yourself in this part of the story. So here's the scene. Let me recap. When Jesus looked out and saw that a large crowd had arrived, he said to Philip, where can we buy bread to feed these people? We well, said this to stretch Philip's faith because he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip answered, 200 silver pieces wouldn't be enough to buy bread for each person to get a piece. And it's, I would guess that it's pretty easy for you in this moment to think about a situation or a season in your life where you could very much relate to Philip, where God was calling you to something and, and you looked at what you had and you concluded that the little that you had or whatever it was you had was definitely not enough to do what God was calling you to do. And the question in this moment, and, and you may have faced it in the past, and by the way, you're probably going to face it again in the future. The question in this moment is a real simple one. What's the next move? You've looked. You've been brutally honest. The fact is, based on my perspective, I don't have enough okay what's the next move because quitting's an option but it's not the only option and so john continues to record this event one of the disciples it was andrew brother to simon peter said ah, well <clears throat> there's a little boy here who has uh, five barley loaves and two fish yeah so Right, I get it. That's just a drop in the bucket for a crowd like this. One kid's lunchbox. Now, you can read a lot of uh, leadership books. You can go to some leadership conferences, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and I've done that over the years. 
And people talk about resourcefulness. People talk about as a leader, you've got to be resourceful within an organization, within a business. You've got to be resourceful within your own life, within the team you lead. You've got to be resourceful. And really the essence of resourcefulness is, is asking the question, what, what do you, how can you maximize the effectiveness of what you've got? And I believe there's three approaches when it comes to resources when it comes to, to, to looking at what we have, one is to look at the situation and to say, well, look, there's not enough in the box. I mean, I've got something, but not enough, certainly not enough to do what we're meant to do. And that's really at one end of the spectrum. There's not enough in the box. There's only five loaves of bread and two fish. I mean, there's something, but it's not enough. I mean, here's what we're meant to be doing. That is most certainly not enough. That's one perspective. And I would say that sits at one end of the, the spectrum. At the other end of the spectrum, uh, you're going to hear people talk about, well, you need to think outside of the box, which sounds uh, clever. It sounds inspiring. It, it sounds like, oh, yeah, let's get up. But have, <laughs> have you ever tried it? It's a very rare skill. It's a very rare superpower. And in fact, I'm not saying it's impossible, but what I've experienced and observed is that when people think that that's the only play, they say, well, there's not enough in the box, but I'm not going to quit. Well, I better think outside the box. And then they, and, and they find themselves left paralyzed. They actually don't know how to think outside the box. They actually can't see beyond the box. Well, there's a third option. And the third option, instead of thinking outside the box, is to think inside the box. Sometimes constraint can lead to great innovation. Sometimes constraint can, can lead to great resourcefulness, where we, we will simply look, we say, okay, what, not what we don't have, not what we wish we did have, but let's just be honest, brutally honest, and look inside the box and say, what is it? that we do have. And here's a pro tip. God never asks us to give what we don't have. So I would say that when you're faced with a situation where you don't think you have enough, the next move shouldn't be quitting. The next move should be asking the question, what's in the box? Think inside the box. And John continues, Jesus said, well, all right, make the people sit down. And there was a nice carpet of green grass in this place. And they sat down, about 5,000 of them, which is 5,000 men. And then there would have been some you know, women and children, 10 to 15,000. And then Jesus took the bread and having given thanks and gave it to those who were seated. He did the same with the fish and phew, all of them ate as much as they wanted. When people have eaten their fill, he said to his disciples, gather the leftovers so nothing is wasted. And so they went to work and filled 12 large baskets with leftovers from the five barley loaves. Final thought. There's 10 to 15,000 people gathered there and they'd gone there intentionally. Whilst we read about this boy and his lunchbox with five barley loaves and two fish, the law of averages would suggest that there was probably other people in that crowd 
who also had food, none of them enough to feed themselves, because if they had all brought enough to feed themselves, Jesus wouldn't have seen that there was an issue that he needed to insert himself into. But there was nothing to indicate that the boy was the only person with the food. But here's the thing. He's the only one we get to read about. He's the only one 2,000 years later that we're still being inspired by. Because whether in the unlikely event that he was the only one that had some food, fine. But I would, I'd be surprised, particularly in that culture, if that was the case. What he was the only one that did, he was the only one that took what he had. Which, by the way, from the point of view of a young boy, he would have, I think, even been even more doubtful than the, the grown men who were Jesus' closest 12 as to whether this could do anything. Yet, the 12 and the young boy, despite not understanding everything, despite not being able to see things from Jesus' perspective, because Jesus already knew what he was going to do, they did take what was inside the box and they placed that in the hands of Jesus. And whilst everyone gathered there that day, got to see the miracle of multiplication, the young boy got to participate in the miracle of multiplication because he was the one who was willing to take what was inside the box and place that in the hands of Jesus. And here we are, global pandemic, varying degrees of lockdown, quarantine, self-isolation, social distancing, all of those things that we're doing, which is super important to do, by the way. You know, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, well, well, uh, the equally greatest commandment is love your neighbor as you would yourself. So the greatest thing we can be doing right now to love our neighbor is to, is to stay home, to be safe and to help keep others safe. Yet it doesn't mean that God's not going to use us. It doesn't mean that there's not resourceful ways that God can multiply what we have inside the box in this moment in these circumstances, in in this season. And so my encouragement to you, as you continue to pray, as you continue to seek the face and the voice of God, as you continue to say, God, even in this weird season of life, in this weird global situation, use me and use what's inside the box. Use what I have in my hand, in my life, in my heart and multiply it. And I want to encourage you to do that, to give it to him, whatever it is, and and know that he specializes in taking what we think isn't enough and transforming it and multiplying it into more than enough. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love you to join us for one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information about our great Elevate Kids and Elevate Youth environments, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me, and also download our Elevate Church AU app.